Well, friends, we are making our way through the book of Esther, and we are coming into the home stretch here just tonight, and one more sermon after tonight. We're looking at tonight, Esther chapter 9, page 715 in the Bibles provided for you. Esther chapter 9, verses 20 through 32, verses 20 through 32 of Esther chapter 9 in the Bible, 715, that's the page number beginning on the very bottom of the page there on the right. We read these words. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of fasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them, for Haman son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pure, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word pure. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, I marvel, perhaps you do too, at people who can remember names so easily. I used to work in a co-pastorate with Reverend Charles Steenstra. You probably know that name, some of you, long time ago. And when someone told him their name, he somehow managed to file it away into his steel trap, ready to be sprung in a split second as he greeted the person the next Sunday or the next month or even months later. How are you today, Jake? Hello, Shirley. How you been? Charlie could remember names 
so well. A lot of us forget names. Hard as we try, we just can't remember them, we can't recall them, we can't recall them, or we do, and we recall them 20 minutes too late. Conversation's over. Remembering is hard work. Our gospel summary that we've been learning, committing it to that long-term memory, is hard work, but we keep trying. And we take minutes at a meeting because the average person does not have an eidetic or photographic memory to be able to recall what was talked about, discussed, decided, voted on at any given meeting, even the next day, let alone the next month. So we take minutes or notes from the meeting. We write down what is important so we can refer back to them. As we're just about at the end of the book of Esther, these verses that we read, they read like minutes of a meeting, minutes to sum up what happened throughout the book of Esther, to help us remember. They are a very thorough set of minutes, as if they had been written by a council clerk who was very thorough in telling us what happened at the last meeting. When I was at my former church, we had a council clerk who took what can only be described as voluminous minutes. He wrote down everything that happened in the meeting, all in longhand with beautiful script, complete sentences that often grew to paragraphs. That's how he had been taught, so that's how he did it. With him as clerk of the council for his term, you could count on thorough meeting minutes, to say the least. He was a detailed person and was careful to write minutes that reflected thoroughly and effectively exactly what went on at that meeting and then some. And when I asked him about it once, he told me that if I thought his meeting minutes were thorough, he remembered way back in his consistory experience some clerks that would have made his own minutes look skimpy or scanty by comparison. Apparently, there have been some copious minute recorders throughout church history. Well, not only is the writer of Esther's summary here in chapter 9, not only is the writer thorough, as maybe you heard when we read it, the, the author is also repetitive. Because one of the best ways to remember something is to repeat it a few times, like remembering names. When someone introduces themselves, you say their name several times back to them in conversations to help you remember it. Well, Esther 9's author employs that same technique. Let's say the same long thing three times. Let's recall this a few times. Let's proclaim this information more than a couple times, yet less than four repetition, thorough and repetitive. So what's being repeated here? Well, the author is telling us about the history of what happened with Mordecai, Esther, and King Xerxes in the Persian Empire. And he's telling us about the new celebration, the celebration day that began as a result of the events in the book. And he does this three times each of those three times emphasizing something different. The first time through happens with verses 20 to 23. You can check it out if your Bibles are open. And the emphasis, the stress is here, is on the Jews' reversal. A reversal 
has happened here. Mordecai is sending out letters to all the Jewish people in the provinces of the Persian Empire. He's telling them to celebrate. Why? Because of the great reversal that has happened to the Jews. Verse 22 says, This was the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. This was the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. A great reversal, isn't it? Sorrow to joy, mourning to celebration, relief from the enemies. The Jews in the book of Esther experience one of the most incredible turnarounds in history. One minute, there's death, there's death hanging over their heads, a death sentence, and the next... Their enemies are gone. They're destroyed. A great reversal is emphasized in the opening verses. Then the author tells the story again, repeats it, verses 24 to 28 this time. And the emphasis this time is on remembrance. He starts out in verse 24, talking about that reversal again of the Jews, but then quickly begins stressing the remembrance aspect of the story. Verse 20. Eight, verse 26 says, therefore these days were called Purim. These are going to be days to remember the reversal that took place. The emphasis is on remembrance now. Verse 27, the Jews established the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe. Verse 28, these days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family and in every province and in every city. These days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. The emphasis you see is on remembrance or remembering. Then the author repeats things again in verses 29 to 32. And the emphasis this time is on the regulation. From reversal to remembrance to regulation. We've got governmental regulations taking over here in these verses. The queen, Esther, and the prime minister, Mordecai, sign this remembrance bill about the great reversal into law. They regulate it, in other words. This is when Purim will take place. This is what you should do to celebrate. Verse 32 ends the chapter with Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim and it was written down in the records. You see the different emphases there? The reversal emphasis tells us why there's a celebration. The remembrance emphasis tells us about the celebration proper. And the regulation emphasis tells us how the celebration became an annual event in the lives of the Jewish people. Reversal, remembrance, and regulation. Three different emphases so the people will never forget. Now, what kind of main point... What kind of main point can we pull from this text? The people are celebrating an incredible reversal in their lives. They do it by feasting and joy and giving gifts to each other, giving food to the poor. And wonderful time for them. But notice, again, no mention of God. We've been pointing that out throughout the book, throughout this series. No mention of God at all. Now, did some of the people realize 
that God's hand was, was behind all of this reversal and this deliverance and this saving activity? Were, were some of the people praising God in their celebration? Could be. But the writer of Esther does not tell us about that. So for all intents and purposes, we simply have a group of people celebrating their newfound good fortune and being told to do it regularly. So our main point here is this. Even when God mightily saves, even when God unleashes his powerful providence, his loving grace, his mighty hand and outstretched arm, there are times his people don't even see it. They forget about him. So that even when they're remembering and celebrating what happened, they're just celebrating something else. They're not celebrating God here. They're celebrating the success of their race or whatever else. It doesn't matter. The point is the one who should be getting the credit is being forgotten. Is being forgotten. In a sense, they're celebrating themselves. Normally, we have God saving his people and God telling his people to commemorate that salvation through a feast or a festival not here. This is not a God-instituted holy day. It's a Jewish celebration day. The Jews completely miss the reason they have this day to celebrate to begin with. The main point, the people are forgetting God, even when it is God who is the reason for their celebration. Now, let's apply that to our lives I'm going to take three types of days and see if they don't easily lend themselves to what this passage has to teach us. First of all, let's stick with what was instituted in the story first. A non-religious holiday. That's Purim. God didn't institute it. In fact, God isn't even mentioned in the celebration of it. And it seems like the reason he is not mentioned is that the people either can't see that his hand has been at work or they are refusing to see that his hand has been at work. So let's take one of our non-religious holidays. We have several of them, right? Let's take Memorial Day. It's not a day like Christmas in what we call our church year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus or Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a day where we remember those who have paid the ultimate price for the freedom we have in the United States. So if, well, if this passage were to teach or convict us about something, what might it be? Might it not be that even with non-religious holidays like Memorial Day, or even Labor Day, or Independence Day or President's Day, might it not be that when celebrating those non-religious holidays, because the absence of God in these Book of Esther celebrations is so blatant, so blatant, it opens our eyes to see that God is truly behind everything, that even Memorial Day calls for thanksgiving to God for who we are as a country. Memorial Day surely calls us to honor those who've lost their lives in war, but even above that, for Christian believers, 
Memorial Day calls us to give thanks to God for his providential hand as he has blessed this nation so richly. We celebrated uh, Arbor Day just the other day, a couple days ago, right? Arbor Day. And, and I was listening on the radio as people were talking about Arbor Day, and someone says, well, you know, what do we think about with Arbor? Well, trees, of course, and yeah, it's a good time to go and Google trees and, and learn more and more about trees. Well, yeah, it's also a good day to look at them and say, wow, what a God we have who created these trees, the variety of these trees, and the fact that every spring, here they come with their little buds on them, and they're growing to magnificent. It shows God's power. It shows God's creativity, all because of this Arbor Day. We, as Christians, can think about that type of thing. So even the non-religious holidays cry out for us to see the power of God at work, ruling every last part of the world. As the Catechism says, our Heidelberg Catechism, I do not doubt that fruitful and lean years, prosperity and poverty come to us not by chance, but by my God in heaven's fatherly hand. Memorial Day is a day to remember that, that God has not stopped being at work, bringing all things together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Just because God seems hidden, doesn't mean we forget about him. Even non-religious holidays remind us of that. They should remind us of that. The Jews here in this story, though, didn't see that, it seems. And because the author makes their not seeing it so obvious for us, the story itself teaches us that we better not miss it. We better not miss who is at work in the world behind the scenes. We need to see God at work in the world, and even non-religious holidays can help us do that. Second point of application has to do with holy days. The religious holidays or holy days like Christmas, like Good Friday, like Easter, like Ascension Day, like Pentecost. If people have a hard time seeing a providential God at work behind non-religious holidays, you would think that on a day like Easter or Christmas, it would be obvious to see our God and what he has done. Well, just like in the time of Esther, we have a way of forgetting. We have a way of watering the story down. Our society does, that is. Christmas, well, Christmas, well, that's about the joy of giving and Receiving gifts with one another, and, and this is about the beautiful store windows, and about family get-togethers, and about a guy in a red suit. Easter, Easter is about new beginnings, and it's about spring, and it's about growth, and fertility, and bunnies, and chocolate eggs, and Pentecost is about, well, what's Pentecost again? Well, twice in church in year, just twice is about one time more than too much for, for many people. And you'll say, yes, that's our world, the world we live in. Our secular culture just doesn't get it, but people of God. Do we remember to see God? Do we? Do we remember to celebrate Jesus Christ even on those special holy days? Do we Christians have our eyes wide open? Or even for us, can it become more about finding the best Christmas gift at Christmas time? For the kids or about letting the kids meet the Easter bunny at the city park? Do we forget to read the minutes 
that tell us of a Savior who took on human flesh, who took sins away at the cross, who rose from the dead, ascended as Lord, and sent his Spirit out to dwell with us. Sometimes I'm afraid we forget even those Christian holy days. We can sometimes sink into that a little bit. Esther 9 reminds us what a gracious God we have, a God who provides, who rescues, who saves even a people who forgot and think it's all about themselves and then celebrate and forget to invite the guest of honor. That's Esther 9, dear friends. But if we're not careful, it can be a lot like us today, too, when we're not thoughtful and focused on what's most important in our lives. <clears throat> and a final point of application, there are non-religious holidays, there are Christian holy days, religious holidays, that is, and you know what else there are, of course? There are Lord's Days, Sundays, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Sundays. How do we come here on Sundays? I have a sad feeling that sometimes, sometimes, we come here thinking it's all about us. It's all about me, Jesus, which basically means, preacher, keep my attention. Accompanist, make sure to play with an upbeat tempo. Songs, sing my kind of songs, because those are the songs, well, everyone wants. The ones I like, my kind. Make the whole enterprise exciting for me so that I can feel good. Worship is about me, being able to worship in the best way for me. We go there sometimes, don't we? If a particular worship time isn't my taste, well, someone needs to hear about this. The Jewish people never saw God in their celebration of reversal from death to life, from sorrow to joy. They never saw God, and the reason is it was all about them. Do we sometimes approach Sundays the same way? What will worship do for me this Sunday? A chapter like Esther 9 reminds us that's entirely the wrong way to enter a worship service. Everything you do from the moment you enter this worship space to the moment you leave needs to be about bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that takes a lot of work. How do I sit in worship? How does my posture even show homage to God? What kind of look do I have on my face? How deeply do I concentrate? How distracted do I get? How do I listen? How do I participate? How tired am I from the night before? How engaged am I when some song or section of worship isn't to my taste exactly? Do I, well, I'm just going to check out, or do I work at something that might take some work? Coming to worship is, 
is different than any other thing you can give your attention to. It's, it's not like sitting watching a movie in a movie theater. It's not like watching TV. It's not like going to a concert even of your favorite Christian band. Coming to worship is entering into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, our holy God, and interacting with him, dialoguing with him, engaging with him. And how do I do that when some of what is happening isn't necessarily something I like the best? It's then we ask ourselves in our hearts, is this about me or is this about the Lord Jesus? A soldier once wrote this about the time he came back home after his time in the service. He writes, no experience, no experience compares with returning to my home church after four long years When I entered the church, I was struck by a stillness which seemed to acknowledge the presence of God and which seemed to hold all evil at the doorway and allow only the weary to enter. People were coming here so they could worship in his presence. This was truly the house of the Lord. I had never felt God so near as I did that Sunday morning upon my return. It seemed as if I could reach out and touch him, as if he were sitting next to me on the very same bench. Here in church, I realized the full significance of communing with God and thanking him for all he had given me within these four walls is the Lord himself. Friends, coming to worship God is different than everything else. Sunday, the Lord's Day, must have us acknowledging that and remembering it's about the Lord, not about me. Esther 9 says, The people may have remembered the great reversal down through the ages, but even in their celebration, they forgot who secured the great reversal. Esther 9 says to us, make sure you remember who they forgot. Make sure you remember who they forgot. Make sure you remember on your non-religious holidays, on your Christian holy days, and on your Lord's days. Make sure you remember who is always at work behind what is seen. Who went to work in your hearts and in your lives, went to the cross to pay for your sins because you couldn't, and then rose again for your eternal life. He is the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Make sure you remember the one they forgot. Every single time you worship, whether you think it's a good service or just, eh, so-so. Whether you got to sing the songs you like or had to sing some other ones that someone else likes. Every time, make sure you remember the one the people in the book of Esther forgot. Remember the one they forgot. That is most important. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we would never want to be accused of forgetting you. We never want to forget you. But sometimes we do when we're brutally honest with ourselves deep in our hearts. 
we know we sometimes forget all about you and go merrily on our way. Whether it has to do with holidays or holy days or Lord's days or any day, that's a temptation of ours that we forget about you just like the people in this story forgot about you. Remind us of you again tonight. Remind us of who you are in your greatness and in your grace and in your salvation of us. Remind us who you are, what you have done, so that we never forget nor are tempted to forget. Help us always to remember and then praise the name of Jesus when we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.